When you meet someone, do you wonder about their story? If you're like me, you're always interested in the lives, hopes, and dreams of people. Stories Connect People podcast will bring you interesting, inspiring, and compelling stories from people just like you and me. Stories that will inspire you. They'll make you laugh. You'll learn. They might even make you cry. But above all, you will feel connected and closer to the people around you. You may see yourself in these stories. You may feel connected because you share similarities in your own journey. There are rich, interesting stories closer than you think, maybe even yours. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People. I am Polly Van Duzer, your host. My guest today on Stories Connect People podcast is Andy Helmer with Shelters to Shutters. Do you know that one in five Americans have no savings set aside to cover an unexpected emergency? Essentially, they are living paycheck to paycheck. What if you lost your job or had to leave an abusive domestic situation or maybe had a major medical emergency? Would you be at risk of being homeless? When you live paycheck to paycheck, the safety and security of a home is always at risk. Andy talks about the amazing work Shelters to Shutters is doing to address situational homelessness. This means an individual or family loses their home due to a life-altering event. This is different from chronic homelessness, and Andy will explain. I ask Andy, what is most important? the home or the job to help someone get their life back on track. Shelters to Shutters addresses both with their unique and innovative approach and it works. 93% of those who graduate from the program continue with stable housing and employment. Here Andy share all about how they are giving a hand up and changing lives on Stories Connect People podcast. Hi Andy! Welcome to Stories Connect People podcast. How are you today? I'm great, Polly. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. So I'm so glad to welcome you uh, to the podcast. So Stories Connect People podcast is all about people who are interesting, inspiring, and uplifting. And the work that you are doing and the work that Shelters to Shutters is doing is so amazing. And you're making a difference in the lives of so many people. So I can't wait um, to have you share all about your background and the work that you're doing and the organization is doing in the community. So it's really incredible. But maybe first, I'll just start by saying how we were connected. Absolutely. It's a fun, fun story, right? Yes. So for any of our listeners that have listened to the podcast every once in a while, I'll mention my identical twin sister, Paula. And Paula recently joined the board of Shelters to Shutters in Houston. And we've been talking a lot about the organization. Of course, she's so excited to be part of the board and help um, with um, all the great things that are going on in the organization. And so I said to her, Andy, the CEO of Shelters to Shutters, and we're going to call it S2S because that's a little bit easier. It's less of a mouthful for sure. (laughs) It's less of a mouthful. 
I said he would be perfect for Stories Connect People podcast. And so Paula uh, made the connection. And so it is really nice uh, to have you here today. And I know there's so much going on in the organization. And so I can't wait to have you share that with our listeners. Um, But the work that you're doing is all around situational homelessness. And so I'm going to have you talk about that. We'll talk about you first, but talk about what situational homelessness even is. How is that different from chronic homelessness? And um, just really uh, focus on all the great things that you all are doing um, in the organization to support people from an employment and housing standpoint. Um, So Andy, why don't we start out by just learning a little bit about you and take us to where we are today when you joined S2S. Well, thanks again for having me. It was a lot of fun to have a pre-call with you and your sister. (laughs) Watching siblings, let alone twins, interact is incredibly fun. So We have a lot of the same (laughs) mannerisms and stuff, and we sound alike. Indeed. So thank you again for for having me. So in a lot of ways, um, I'm kind of the, the accidental nonprofit guy. Um, I prior to Shelters to Shutters, I had never been involved in any nonprofits. Uh, I don't have a background in the issue of homelessness, and I don't have a background in the multifamily or apartment industry. The founder, a great guy with an incredible heart named Chris Finley, uh, started the organization, and he spent his entire professional career in the apartment industry, and he was reading. Uh, an article in an outdoors magazine that chronicled the experience of the writer intentionally going homeless for three days in Asheville, North Carolina. And there were a couple things in the article that really struck Chris that he didn't necessarily think about or, or comprehend. The first was that you couldn't even apply for a job at a fast food restaurant if you don't have a permanent address. And so he's thinking, well, how do you get a job if you don't have an address? And then the second thing is really around your original question, individuals that are situationally homeless versus chronically homeless. He had never delineated between just different groups within uh, the overall homelessness camp. And so situationally homeless means individuals that have been in the workforce before have marketable skills, but through a series of circumstances or bad luck, have found themselves without a place to live. So there was some sort of catalyst that really forced them into this situation. So the top four reasons are ones you might uh, certainly expect, uh, unexpected job loss, major medical bills that's not covered by insurance, uh, victim of domestic violence, and then the last one is kind of natural disaster. And I, I guess we need to add pandemic survivor to that list. So those are the four most common uh, reasons for individuals becoming situationally homeless. You were saying that, you know, this, this isn't your background. You didn't, you know, grow up with a career in nonprofit. And I loved you sharing the founder's story and how he got to, you know, really the inspiration to start this organization. Your background is what? Sure. So I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, originally. I'm the youngest of three. I went to school at the University of Pittsburgh and graduated with a degree in business and political science. And it was really the latter portion of my degree, political science, that brought me to 
the DC area right after college in the early 90s. Uh, I had a couple internships and quickly figured out that maybe politics wasn't in my future. And so I ended up getting a job with a local wine distributor uh, where I was a salesperson. And so as a 22-year-old fresh out of college, thinking a classy evening was a bottle of white Zinfandel, <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> it was quite quite the education and something that I that I carry from an enjoyment and a semi-passion perspective today. If you haven't listened to the podcast with the Capana Ranch um, wine maker Steve Bell, so anyone can um, listen uh, back to that. It is so. If you have a background in wine and wine cell uh, uh, sales, he is so interesting, and so I think that you would love it. I think you're exactly right. And the interesting thing, besides learning about wine, was I was on a hundred percent commission. And so there's nothing more motivating to get you up in the morning and work later at night than being on 100% commission. And that's really where I learned the effort that I put in, the results that could come. Um, So that was a really good kind of early teaching realization for me. Absolutely. Um, But I, I knew that you know, being a career wine salesperson wasn't necessarily my my ultimate goal. And I made the unlikely transition from wine into technology. And I worked for a software development tools company called Rational Software that was ultimately purchased by IBM. And so I did that for a number of years. And then I got married. Uh, I've been married 22 years now. And uh, my wife and I were out Uh, visiting friends in San Francisco. And that was during the, you know, kind of the first dot-com boom in the early 2000s. And I ended up interviewing out there and getting a job and and very quickly moved out to San Francisco with a a software company called Nightfire Software. So uh, unfortunately, I didn't realize my my dot-com millions, uh, but Nightfire was ultimately uh, purchased by a Northern Virginia-based company called Newstar. And so I was there for a long, long time. Um, Newstar and Nightfire combined about 15 years. And I, I was head of sales for um, the data solutions division, which was about $750 million in sales. And I, I just felt like at the beginning of the year, the the boulder at the bottom of the hill kept getting bigger and bigger. And the hill, I had to push it up, uh, kept growing and growing. And ultimately, I I just wanted to take a break. Um, I had been uh, in sales my entire career. And I mentioned the founder, Chris Finley. He approached me and said, I I have this uh, nonprofit that's starting to do interesting things. I don't have time to devote uh, my kind of leadership and management to it because he runs uh, another business called Middleburg Communities. Would you conduct a search? And so the long story short is I got Jedi mind tricked into uh, looking for myself. It's been four years now, and I I really feel great about the decision that I made. Um, I really believe that we're on the cusp of really starting to make a material difference for those experiencing homelessness in the 12 cities where Shelters to Shutters operates. You talked a little bit about uh, Chris. So has the organization surprised Chris in terms of 
of just the success or did he ever? So he's got an incredible heart, somebody that um, is, is the same guy he was as a, you know, 25 year old coming out of the Marines uh, as he is today. He's incredibly generous, um, down to earth, and he's an incredible uh, visionary. He's incredibly supportive and he's thrilled at at what we're doing with these city advisory boards. We really believe that that's, that's going to be the key to our success going forward because ultimately we want to expand the program beyond just the multifamily or apartment industries and see what other industries we can kind of tweak the model but keep the spirit the same, meaning we're providing both employment and housing simultaneously. And those city advisory boards from a strategy perspective, among other things, are going to be a, a key to what we do in, in specific cities. Because candidly, we believe that you know Atlanta may choose a slightly different path than Nashville or Charlotte or Houston. Um, the core program that we have today with multifamily will, of course, remain the same. But uh, we, we do think there's an opportunity to, to do slightly different things um, in addition to kind of the core program. And we're really excited about that. Again, one of the, the great things about uh, being with you and, and Stories Connect People is that this is a, a mechanism for me to, to continue to, to share and evangelize the story of, of Shelters to Shutters. And we really have a huge opportunity to make a difference for a group of individuals and families that through no fault of their own has been thrust into a pretty scary position and that's not having a, a home to go to in a problem that is only getting uh, more significant in this country. We'll talk more about um, situational homelessness and, and how do you, um, like, what's the journey for the, the, the families, the men and women that you support, kind of what's their journey and how is it different from someone that is, um, that is in a chronic homelessness situation? Sure. So if we go back eight months in this country when unemployment's three and a half percent, basically anybody that is looking for a job can find a job. Uh, it was not unusual for our industry partners to lose individuals to a construction job that was paying more down the road. And so even back when unemployment was a mere three and a half percent, um, there were approximately 43 million Americans that were living at or below the poverty line. And if you look at that, you have 55% of working age Americans that were living paycheck to paycheck and had less than $1,000 in their bank account. But if you kind of go a level deeper, 36% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, but don't accrue any incremental debt every month to keep their head above water. So it's, it's a net neutral, if you will. But then you have 19%, almost one in five working adults that lives paycheck to paycheck, but accrues incremental debt every month. And those are really the people that can least afford any sort of hiccup in their job status or uh, a car problem, and so those are really the people that have now found themselves because, because of the coronavirus that now make up the 8.4% unemployment as reported last month. 
And so again, you have individuals that are just trying to keep their head above water, but they have to have everything go just right every month to keep their head above water. And that's not happening. So I have a question on the on the work that you are doing. And so, and I want you to talk more about housing and employment. You know, housing that's the most important for the person or employment that's, that's the most important um, for the person. And so I want you to talk about that. But in your opinion, is there one that gives someone, and I know that you do both, S to S does both, but is there one that gives the person more confidence that, hey, my life is, is going to be okay? So th- there's really two schools of thought, right? One is the housing first model, and one is the employment first model. The housing first model says an individual is has a far better chance of getting employment once they have a stable home life. The, the employment first is the inverse, right? It says if you have a job, then you can go out and you can find a stable home. But we really believe, and this is where we think Shelters to Shutters is, is really innovative. We don't make our you know, clients choose which comes first. We provide them both simultaneously. And we believe that it's really the combination of housing and employment together simultaneously that's going to get somebody back to economic self-sufficiency. And for our organization, that's the goal. Homelessness is an incredibly complex problem, and you need uh, any number of different types of nonprofits to service the short, medium, and long-term needs of individuals and families that experience homelessness. And so whether it's a food pantry or soup kitchen to uh, help with food insecurity on kind of the near-term needs, Um, all the way to an organization like Shelters to Shutters that really wants to put individuals back on a path to, like I said, economic self-sufficiency. So what type of housing do they get through S2S and what type of employment do they get? Yeah, so let me me just kind of walk through the the entire process. And one of the things that really attracted me to Shelters to Shutters, even though I didn't realize I was actually interviewing for my own job, How many candidates did you find before the job was yours? A couple dozen. So I ultimately (laughs) talked to about two dozen people, um, which helped me get smarter, um, not smart, but smarter on the issue of homelessness and some of the challenges. I got to interact with with the staff, uh, with Chris, and understand kind of his vision. Um, And ultimately, I presented a a slate of candidates to he and the board. And, and he came back three or four weeks later and said, you know what, we think you should do it. And, and, that's, I love when I, it. Yeah. and that's when I said, I, I don't know why you'd want me. I have experience in none of these things. And he said, that's why we think you'd be perfect. So um, I guess four years in, I, I've picked up a thing or two. But one of the things that, that attracted me to the organization was that there are tons of nonprofit organizations out there, some that do nothing like another nonprofit, and then some that do almost exactly like other nonprofits. And so when you look at specifically the space around nonprofits dealing with those experiencing homelessness, there's a lot of organizations that kind of do the same thing, um, but they have their own marketing, they have their own back office, finance, human relations, all that sort of stuff. 
And so there's no real operational leverage. If if a lot of these nonprofits were in the for-profit world, there would be a there'd be mass consolidation because there's just no efficiency in having all these stovepipe organizations. And so one of the great things about Shelters to Shutters is, is we sit in the center of an ecosystem of 150 or 160 different organizations. So on one side, you have our nonprofit partners. You can kind of view these organizations as our, our frontline or the uh, introduction to an individual's journey. So individuals can't call up Shelters to Shutters and say, hey, I've heard about your program. It sounds amazing. I want to be a part of it. They have to be referred to us by one of our nonprofit partners. Now, there's no limit to the number of nonprofit partners Shelters to Shutters has. We just need to be able to have a dialogue, tell them exactly what the program is and which candidates do best. And really, those are the candidates that have a skill set that aligns to entry level open positions with our industry partners that I'll get to in a minute. So A, they have to be referred to us. So we'll provide our nonprofit partners with job descriptions for positions like a groundskeeper, a leasing agent, a maintenance technician, roles like that. If they find somebody that they think might be a good fit, they refer them to Shelters to Shutters. We'll do an in-depth screening, we'll do a background check, and if everything looks good, then those individuals are eligible to be candidates in our program. Kind of on the other side, so if, if nonprofit partners you consider our entry point and kind of the candidate pool, on the other side, you have industry partners, and these are really all multifamily owner or operators that agree to give discounted rent for our participants, as well as a competitively waged entry-level position. So our individuals live where they work. Now, for that, Shelters to Shutters as an organization, we provide case management support, um, generally for a year uh, after an individual has been hired. We ensure that individuals take a financial literacy course and their basics, um, the importance of saving money and having a budget, uh, wants versus needs, bill day versus payday, things like that. Um, what we found, even though to your, your audience, those sound like you know, very remedial things, what you have to understand, and, and certainly something I didn't appreciate when I first got here, was that the impact to one's psyche when they lose their home, either for themselves or their family, is significant. And so what happens is individuals start to question everything. And so even if we can put a tiny financial building block in place, we found that to be to be very helpful and we want to do that. Um, and then the last thing we ensure is they take some sort of continuing education class, and that's generally through their employer. And so the goal of that is that individuals continue to build up their skill set so that uh, after a year, uh, they're either eligible for a wage increase or a promotion that comes with a wage increase. So this doesn't have to be just another new job. This can be an entirely new career within uh, the multifamily industry for individuals and their families.
Well, I love that you are providing housing, providing employment, doing skills development, doing just basic life skills, uh, financial literacy training and how to prepare for the future um, in continuing education. I think those are um, all such great you know, like legs on the stool to to help the person be able to um, continue to to build one their skills and their trade and their confidence um, to be able to get out of uh, their situation of eventually. And what does that look like? Do people eventually work themselves out of the program, become self sufficient, and and able to? sustain a life that is more like what they used to have and then they I mean the word wouldn't be graduate but they end the program uh, talk talk about that kind of the time frame and what is like when do you label it a success story so so interestingly we actually use the the term graduate so oh. what what we've so you're right on target uh, I would expect nothing less Polly <laughs> um, so what we found- I'm such a great interviewer <laughs> I mean, the, pe- the, the people at the networks better watch out because I think there's a new uh, reporter coming on the scene. Um, what we've found is that after a year of case management, and if the individual is doing all the things he or she needs to do in line with their position within their employer, that, that they're kind of ready to, to turn the page on, on shelters to shutters. Um, they're grateful, incredibly grateful for the work we've done for them and the support we've given them. But after a year, if everything's on track, they they prefer to to look ahead, not behind. And so we see uh, a lot of them ready to kind of turn the page and and graduate um, from shelters to shutters. Now, that's not to say that if an individual needs a little bit longer, that um, we're going to suddenly at month 13, you know, put a hard stop. You know, we're there to support that individual as long as they need. But the vast majority of times after a year, the individual's uh, gotten to a good spot. Um, they're secure in their job. They like their home. There's been some stability. And in, in almost 75% of the cases, um, our participants have received some sort of wage increase or a promotion that comes with a wage increase. So it's about 72, 73%. So that to us is, is one of our uh, key performance indicators because you're sure. not going to get a wage increase or a promotion if your work is, is substandard. So we, f- we feel great about that, but certainly we want to get it to um, even higher numbers and, and ultimately 100% of our individuals. Uh, get a promotion or wage increase within that first year. Do you find that they stay in these jobs long term? So even after they graduate um, from your program, or is the job tied to S to S? And once the person graduates, then someone else picks up that that role. No. So the, these jobs uh, with our industry partners, our industry partners hire them. They are their employees. Um, and they follow the same rules, regulations, guidelines, performance metrics that a non-S2S participant does. So um, they are normal employees, except for their background that, that we're kind of helping with in terms of being 
there was a time in their life where they were situationally homeless. After, after a year, um, what we find and what we hear from our industry partners is our participants are endeared to the company that's given them a, a second chance and a hand up to get back on their feet. So uh, the vast majority, well over 85% of the individuals um, remain in multifamily, um, not necessarily with their first employer, uh, but they remain with, within multifamily. And then a full 93% uh, remain stably housed and employed. So that's, that's another KPI that we're really proud of. Uh, so we have a 93% success rate. That's really great. Yeah, the work that you're doing there just to help them get their life back on track is so important. Um, and I love that you say, you know, they really become, you know, so just grateful to the organization that that has helped them. Um, do you help men, women, and in, in families? Is it? Yeah. So if you look at uh, homeless statistics nationally, about seventy percent of individuals that. Ex- 70% of the population that experience homelessness are, are individuals. Um, I will say, however, for every person that we get hired as a participant, and so I, I use two terms, candidate and participant. So a candidate is an individual that has been referred to us by one of our nonprofit partners, has been screened and been deemed eligible. A participant is simply a candidate that's been hired by one of our industry partners. So, so that's, that's kind of the delineation. And so, uh, you know, uh, I did a lot with, with uh, data and analytics in, in a previous life. And so we track uh, a number of metrics on our participants. And one specific is how many lives we impact through the hiring of one participant. And so right now for every person we get hired, it affects 2.2 people. So um, that can be dependents, uh, that can be a spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, what have you. Um, So it doesn't take a whole lot to really start to make a material difference if we can get a lot more participants hired because the the curve really starts to, to trend up and to the right because of that multiple. I'm just curious in terms of, so people would, you know, suddenly find themselves, you know, they've got to leave a domestic situation or they, um, or they, you know, lose their house to a fire or whatever. Is your turnaround time um, quick where they can be identified as, uh, be identified and then employed and housed, you know, in a very, on a very short uh, timetable? Generally, no. So when we, when I first got here uh, back in, in 2016, I would term how we got people hired and housed as ad hoc, meaning an industry partner would call and say, hey, uh, we have this maintenance tech position open at a property in Midtown Atlanta. Can you send some people over? And so if we had individuals that were eligible and kind of sitting on a queue because they've been screened, we'd of course send them over. If not, we would do a fresh call out to our nonprofit partners to say, hey, we have an opportunity for a maintenance technician. Anybody that you come across that has a skill set that might be commensurate with an entry-level maintenance tech position, 
send them to shelters to shutters to be screened. And we'd start the process from the beginning. And so what was happening is, is we were expending a tremendous amount of effort to get a single individual hired and housed. And, and look, not that that's not a worthy endeavor. It, it absolutely is. But we felt like there had to be a better, more efficient way to get more people kind of hired en masse, if you will. And so beginning of 2018, we kind of standardized on what we call hiring events. Um, we say hiring events very specifically because the goal is to get people hired. Um, but you can think of a, a job fair or a career fair where basically we will invite all our industry partners. Let's just use Atlanta as an example. We'll invite all our industry partners from Atlanta to a you know hotel ballroom or uh, some office buildings have very nice conference facilities, things like that, to a specific location. We'll work with our nonprofit partners four to six weeks ahead of time to get a good, deep, broad candidate pool, and then you know, we'll, we'll kind of play matchmaker and, and watch the magic happen. And so hiring events have been a great, um, a great opportunity for us to get people, as I mentioned, hired kind of en masse. It also gives us the opportunity to uh, provide other wraparound services, whether it's soft skills, uh, being able to have a positive conversation ahead of formal one-on-one -on -one interviews. Uh, we can do resume updates, uh, if, if there are issues with an individual's resume and then quickly print copies. Ultimately, we would like to include other things like dress for success and uh, having registered nurses to do blood pressure and just kind of a, a small wellness check-in or legal aid. So there, there's a lot of ways that we can continue to grow the current hiring events uh, for Shelters to Shutters and our partners. But that seems like such a great um, approach rather than do them, you know, one here, one here, one here, and to be able to do it in you know, a large setting and then have these other services that you could potentially provide to um, to them as well. I mean, that's, that's a really creative approach that, I mean, that is a very corporate approach to a nonprofit that's, that's uh, supporting, you know, the, like the work that you're doing. So, so ultimately the goal is to migrate from hiring events to hiring expos where we'd have any number of wraparound services from other organizations that we could partner with to really provide a more holistic, holistic support to the individuals that day. So that was all a, an incredibly long-winded way to say depending on when something happened to your housing situation. If it just so happened that we had an upcoming hiring event close to when that happened, then yes, the turnaround could be, could be quick. In general, you know, it's in the 30 to 45 days. Well, you mentioned Atlanta, where I'm from, and we talked about Paula being in Houston. How broadly do you, do you all work and uh, what cities do you support? So we, we place individuals in 12 cities uh, across the country. Uh, five are considered primary cities. So the primary cities are, uh, we call it the DMV, so the District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia. That's where our headquarters and where I'm located. Um, Charlotte, North Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, Nashville, Tennessee, and Houston, Texas. So they're primary because those are the 
five cities that currently have city advisory boards to help us more broadly engage the communities that we serve. So we don't just draw, you know, real estate or apartment industry people. We're drawing people from all sorts of backgrounds, expertises, and, and positions so that we have a good, well-rounded board that represents the community um, and can help us, again, accelerate our ability to, to make an impact in, in that community. Because as you and I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners feel, people generally want to give of their expertise, um, their time, and their resources to the cities or neighborhoods where they live and work. It just makes sense. And so while we do operate and consider ourselves a national organization, um, we are, we're hyper-local, and, and that's what these city advisory boards are really all about. So ultimately, we will have city advisory boards in all the cities where we operate, uh, but right now we have five. Can you share a success story or two? Is there, um, like to really bring it, of course, you would never share names or anything, but bring it to life, really bring it to life for us. Do you have a, an example of, of someone, maybe their situation, you help them and they've been able to get their life back on, on track? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, one of the great things about this job is is seeing firsthand the difference that an organization like Shelters to Shutters can make and, and getting getting to know some of these individuals. And so there's an individual, um, he is from a West African country, uh, kind of torn apart by civil war. Um, he was one of the lucky ones that won the lottery, if you will, to come to this country as, as a refugee. Uh, he was here with his brother and his mother, and ultimately his brother and mother decided that they were gonna move elsewhere in, in the US, and, and he decided to, to stay where he was. And he quickly kind of found himself in, in kind of a bad way. Uh, he lost his job, um, and he found himself kind of living out of his car. Um, he did have the foresight because his mom um, had always impressed upon him the importance of education. And so he enrolled at a local technical college that had a program specifically for individuals that were socioeconomically disadvantaged. And he certainly qualified. So living out of his car, going to school during the day, he worked at night, he worked at a fast food restaurant, and on his breaks and before closing time, he would actually use their Wi-Fi to do his homework, um, but he kept at it and so showed incredible perseverance. And so, you know, he was introduced to Shelter to Shutters by one of our nonprofit partners. Um, he was just about to graduate with maintenance uh, specifically HVAC, so heating, ventilation, air conditioning certification. And we had a, an event and he was, he had a couple options. He actually had two different employers that were looking to, to offer him a job. And so he's been with his current company a little over a year. Um, he, he's been promoted and I mean, his smile lights up a room when he grins ear to ear it's a great thing. And like I said, this is one of the most certainly rewarding things about working for nonprofits when you can see firsthand 
the type of life-changing impact that you have. And look, I'm not saying life-changing to try to be dramatic, but you're- But it is. That's right. And I have two teenage daughters that use literally all the time, the word literally, and (laughs) half the time it is not literally. But in this case, we are literally, Polly, changing, uh, changing their lives. So like I said, we not only can change the trajectory of the individual that gets hired, but we're changing the trajectory of their entire family, potentially. So we have the lowest unemployment since February. And, you know, it. Um, so it's the first time. So we're in. Uh, so August was the month that we were reporting where it was the first time it's been in the single digits since February. Do you have any perspective on how the pandemic is going to impact situational homelessness? Do you think more is on the horizon because, you know, companies, um, you know, just either may not come back or may not be able to, or, uh, you know, they may do layoffs or, or things like that. Kind of what's your, you know, what is your data telling you? So we believe that unfortunately a tsunami like wave of, of despair is, is coming. And, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, but um, you know the, the CDC, based in your backyard, um, they've put out a, a national eviction moratorium um, due to a public health emergency. And so that moratorium for anybody that doesn't have a reasonable place to go landlords cannot evict them even if they don't pay rent. That moratorium ends at the end of this year. So as of January 1st, if nothing changes, if individuals aren't current on their rent or up to a point where they're not eligible to be evicted, um, you're gonna see a lot of people out on the streets. Um, and, and that's where we believe this, this huge wave of people is, is coming from. And the problem is if you've lost your job, even though you can't be evicted today, you're still responsible for the ongoing rent obligation. And so if you, did, if you didn't pay last month and you didn't pay this month, so they continue to accrue massive debt that there's no way, even if they get a job in let's say the middle of October, that they're you know a, a seasonal retail position or something, um, that there's very little chance that they're going to be able to earn and save enough to pay all the back rent uh, that that they've accrued. Now, look, I, I'd love to think again, you know, I, I work with with multifamily uh, companies all the time. They understand what's going on. Uh, they want to be as flexible as they can to help individuals because they don't want to be responsible for, you know, just arbitrarily putting people out on the street. That doesn't, that doesn't solve the problem, um, but they can only do so much, right? So again, I fear uh, that individuals and families will accrue so much debt between, call it August and the end of the year, that, it, that it's just a mountain that there's just no way to dig out from under. And so um, they'll, they'll choose not to try to work something out, that they'll, they'll let the eviction process happen. I didn't mean to tee that up so well, but it really highlights how important the work that you're doing is and 
how important it is for you to have funds and and be able to get the the support to be able to help more um, individuals and, and families. And so uh, talk a little bit about that. I know you have a, an amazing gala coming up and I want to be able to highlight that so that, you know, if our listeners are interested in contributing, uh, participating or donating overall, how someone might find out more information about SDS. Yeah, so we we had big plans in the spring, Polly. Um, we had a number of fundraising events in conjunction with Top Golf, and so obviously with shelter-in-place orders and limits on social gatherings, those had to be postponed. You know, we made the decision that to do a virtual fundraiser, and that's going to be taking place. Uh, the week of October 19th. And so uh, starting Monday, October 19th, we're going to have an online auction of all sorts of items, whether it's uh, vacation home rentals, golf experiences, Apple products, beer tastings. Uh, There's going to be a wine room that people can bid on. So that online auction is going to be up that entire week until we culminate with an hour-long live program on Friday night, October 23rd, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central Time. Uh, we have an MC. Uh, we're going to share some success success stories. Kristen, who's a wonderful woman that, uh, that I work with, uh, who, who has tremendous ideas uh, and has done a lot of fundraising in her professional career, uh, we've come up with what we think are some really fun and engaging things to keep people engaged for this short program. And I love that you're spanning it across um, the um, silent auction across the week. That's that's really great. Absolutely. And so we're using a, a, a platform called GiveSmart, where if you register to bid, you put in information, you'll get a notice if somebody has outbid you for that once in a lifetime getaway that uh, that you've been always wanting. Um, we, we've, we've hired a production company to to really keep the look and feel of all the success stories and and the live program to, to be really cool. So we're actually really excited. And so instead of individual city advisory boards holding a singular event, city advisory boards are acting in concert and engaging all their networks. So we're, we're hoping that we have a really great, fun, worthwhile week to, to really push the, uh, the mission forward because um, for us, the, uh, the program costs are by far the, the most significant uh, line items in our budget. And as more people come in, we are only limited by the number of resources staff resources we have in the individual cities to to really help more individuals. Well, I am looking forward to participating that week. Um, first of all, I'm going to do some donations. Love it. But we'll be eager to, you know, what great things I can score. <laughs> so if our listeners want to learn more about shelters to shutters or how they might be able to to help support uh, financially or, or in how they can um, find you on social media and on the web? Yeah, so the, the best way is to uh, go to our um, 
our homepage. So it's just shelters to shutters.org. So S H E T T E R S T O S H U T T E R S.org. But that's, that's the best way. And that has a list of uh, if you'd like to donate or get involved in a specific city, volunteer, um, and all our kind of social media uh, handles, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Well, great. And I'll, I will link to all of that in the show notes as well. Well, I have loved learning more about Shelters to Shutters. I am so glad that Paula is a part of it. And your leadership sounds amazing. Just um, your passion for what you do and just how you are leading the organization. I've enjoyed so much learning about it. So thank you, Andy, for being part of Stories Connect People podcast and sharing all of the great impacts that you and the um, team um, are making on the community and uh, that that the organizations are in, um, and you are truly changing lives. And so, thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Stories Connect People podcast. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, listen, rate, or share with others. I look forward to being with you next time on Stories Connect People podcast.